Holy Gospel according to Mark, the ninth chapter. Glory to you, o Lord. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter the life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell, where their worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We are receiving new members this week today and next Sunday. Starting my sermon preparations earlier this week, I thought to myself that maybe next time I should check the scripture reading before assigning a date for new members, because surely we could have done better than selecting tear your eye out and cut off your hand and foot Sunday, which is what this second paragraph we just heard, of course, has Jesus telling us we should do if our feet or eyes or hands cause us to sin, which my hands and feet and eyes have done and, of course, will do again. But, darn it, the date was selected and so we are receiving new members today and, well, I don't like to muzzle Jesus even when I want to. So we did hear those verses about tearing out sin-inducing eyes and cutting off sin-inducing hands and feet. But that's in the second paragraph. Let's take a look first at the first paragraph. We'll get to the second. The first paragraph, which follows immediately after last week's gospel reading, which if you were here, you may remember, has Jesus getting into an, Jesus' disciples getting into an argument about which of them was the greatest of them, and the, Jesus then picking up a small child with that child in his lap, said to them that in his kingdom, as opposed to the kingdoms of this world, the greatest are not the power brokers on top of it all, but rather the servants of all. I was thinking of that and got me thinking of all the people who often like to say and post how much they love both Jesus and America. And I love Jesus and America too, to be clear. But you take this following Jesus stuff seriously. And there are times when you can't have it both ways. 
because the value system of our dearly beloved and deeply capitalistic society involves a whole lot of history and practice of rising to the top of the greatness ladder at the expense of or on the backs of others, while the value system of the king of kings involves stepping down off that ladder to find greatness in reaching to the needs of others, especially the needs of the world's little ones who don't have what they need. And in doing so, in drawing near to them, you will actually, Jesus said, find yourself drawing near to him, the one who climbed down the greatest ladder there is, the stairway to heaven, if you will, to meet us in the depth of our need by being lifted up not to a penthouse suite, but to a cross. Take this following Jesus stuff dead seriously as he did. And there will be times when we can't have it both ways. Moments when we have to make a decision. And what we do then is what reveals then who or what is in fact our truest love. It is right immediately after that upside downing of the value system of not just our country but of the world that our text for today picks right up again, which means that Jesus has just stopped talking, which means that I'm thinking that child is still on his lap when John jumps in with a childish combination of tattling and bragging. Teacher, he says, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. John, in this case, is, of course, serving as a spokesperson for the ever-present, it seems, uh, Charlie Brown wing of Jesus' followers then and now, because though the teacher has been teaching, what John and the others have apparently been hearing, hearing is what? Wah, 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 right? Because here we go again with Jesus' followers once again, not even on the same planet that Jesus has been talking about, which I suppose shouldn't be all that surprising, because, of course, they're from our planet where the world is divided into those who are us and those who aren't us, those who are them, then them's fighting words, right? I kind of want to picture this point in the scene with Jesus rolling his eyes like I would have. I'm probably pretty sure he didn't. But what he did do is tell John and the others that though people have, not just along religious lines, but along political and, and patriotic and cultural and racial lines, turned God's world, in God's good world, into the world we live in, this world with almost nothing but anymore us's and them's mad at each other and hating each other, that is not the world God means God's world to be. For God's good world is a place where we realize that all who do good may not be one of us, but they are one with us and one with God for good, true good. All God, all good is of God. And therefore, good is always a good thing no matter who does it. Good is a good thing in God's eyes even when people who don't believe in God do it. Anybody who does anything that Christ would call good in that moment is not our enemy but our partner. And that's true in that moment even if they're from that other political party, even if they watch that other news channel, even if they think some things that I don't agree with at all, even if for that matter I really don't like them at all, and even for that matter if they do the good things they do not believing in Jesus at all. 
which is to say that if anyone at all does something Jesus would call good, they are in that moment, anyway, at the very least, someone to be cheered on. Perhaps even someone Jesus might in fact want you to consider joining hands with for good. Who knows, before you know it, a relationship might develop. And in my experience, once actual relationships get going, you might at some point find yourself sharing some stories that are good, including you listening to their story, and you too, when the timing is right, maybe even sharing just a portion of your story of how good for you is the goodness and grace of Jesus. Pastor Sarah and I were eating outdoors this week at a downtown restaurant. I've not yet ventured back into indoor dining, but where our server was a young woman, early 20s maybe. When she handed me the check, I said to her, I notice you have, I notice you have a cross tattooed on your finger. She said, yeah, I have another one too. And she lifted up her right foot and showed us her right ankle, where was found in ink a far more substantial cross, at the base of which were what she pointed out were roots going down. Pastor Sarah said, can you tell me more about that? She said, I was raised in the church. But when I was 16, I told God goodbye. Her voice got softer. It didn't go well, she said. In a lot of ways, she said. Including addiction, she said. It was hell, she said. And there in hell, she said, was the cross. Reaching to me, even though I turned my back to it. And I'm back in the church again, she said. And I've got roots again, she said. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, she said. I have various reasons for sometimes giving a server a higher than normal tip. This was the first time the reason was the tear in my eye and the joy in my heart as I listened to this young woman speak with such quiet but simultaneously passionate love for my Jesus and his saving and amazing grace. And she wasn't even Lutheran. <laughs> I even kind of got the idea from a phrase she used or two that she might even be one of them, those whose theology I don't like. Let me tell you something clearly. Of course, theology has its place, its important place for sure. But that church she was talking about helped her rediscover her place in the arms and in the plans and purposes of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, with the saints and angels in heaven and with Jesus, would you please join me in giving her and her church a round of applause? All right, now I want you to keep that young woman in mind as we move on to the next paragraph. And I also want you to keep another woman in mind, that woman being a friend of my daughter's, who is uh, one of the PGA professional golf instructors at the Cedar Rapids Country Club, and in my daughter's opinion, there's not a better one in the world. 
So, since my golf game could always stand to get better, I took a couple lessons a few weeks ago. We finished the second lesson by working on my short game, which is what golfers use that phrase, your short game, to refer to the, the shots that you hit when you're getting closer to the green and closer to the hole. She, she dropped, a, you, don't, you don't need, a, you don't need a, a big full swing at that point. You need to have kind of an accurate short swing. She dropped a few balls a few yards in the practice screen. She said to me, let me watch you hit a few from here. I showed her a few. She said, okay, this is an easy fix. I said, really good. What is it? She said, yep, all we have to do is cut off your hands. <laughs> <clears throat> now, you don't need to be a golfer, but in a, in a full swing, there's a point where your hands kind of break, they snap, and that generates more speed, and that generates more distance as you hit the ball. But what she was saying is that around the green, you've got to not do that. I'm standing here and trying to hit a short shot by going, it, it's really hard to control. She wants me, if you will, to keep the hands out of it and do this kind of a thing, cutting off my hands. We can agree, of course, uh, that she was not speaking literally, but hyperbolically, exaggeratedly, as a way of making her point very memorably. I imagine you might memorize, remember, remember her point, even if you're not a golfer. But though, of course, she wasn't speaking literally, the point she was making was nevertheless literal. <laughs> My hands literally were causing a problem. And if I was serious about improving my short game, that had to change. To Mark 8.42, where Jesus, a little child still on his lap, says to his followers, if any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea to die. Can we agree that Jesus is not here speaking literally, but rather hyperbolically, exaggeratedly, as a way of making his point very memorably? But though, of course, he wasn't speaking literally, the point he is here making, nevertheless, is literal. That point being, that faith being, one of the greatest things there are in this life, the other two things being hope and love, lovingly to help someone in their journey of faith is as great as it gets in the kingdom of God. But on the flip side, causing the young in faith or the new in faith or someone who is seeking faith, causing them to stumble from the faith is as serious as life and death. I think of all the stumbling blocks, and on some of these, I have to be honest, I have at times been on the wrong side of the matter, been the wrong side of the stumbling block. Stumbling blocks that have been thrown, for example, at over the years or in front of over the years, our LGBTQ neighbors and their journeys of faith, or stumbling blocks thrown at or in front of people whose particular sins have been dubbed by church people as more serious than what we consider to be our relatively minor sins, or the heinous stumbling blocks that have been thrown at or in front of children by those who, from positions of power and trust in Christ's church, have used or abused them, or to, even more these days, the stumbling blocks thrown at or in front of people when Christians, 
or churches or denominations vocally, vocally and vehemently yoke themselves to politicians and political movements which are oh so driven by fear and hate and untruth with the result that those who are by these churches and their leaders feared and hated are essentially being stoned with the message that the truth is that the one they are really hated by is God. I could go on, I'm sure you could too, but surely the point is made. Jesus doesn't want us throwing ourselves or anyone off of bridges with heavy weights around our necks to die, but he is deadly serious about the seriousness of helping people, not hindering people in their journey of faith with and toward the one whose journey took him on that journey from heaven's throne to Calvary's cross for all of us sinners. Which takes us to the again, of course, not literal, but hyperbolically exaggerated ensuing verses where Jesus says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell, where their worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. Of course, hyperbolic, exaggerated for effect, not to be taken literally. But once again beneath it is a literal point, meant to be taken absolutely seriously, a point a young woman who served lunch to Pastor Sarah and me told us she discovered to be true, quite literally. That truth being that life without God is hell. Indeed, whatever in the end hell is, wherever in the end hell is, and whoever in the end is in it, and that's a topic for a whole another sermon, I'm convinced that what makes hell, hell, is the fact that hell is where God literally isn't. Though in speaking these harsh and hard words, it is oh so important to remember, is speaking in them on the way to Jerusalem and its cross, where not ours but his will be the hands and feet bloodied. And his will be the eyes looking upon all the fear and hate and sin of the world. Where his then will be the prayer, Father forgive them for they know not what they do. And from that cross his would be the journey to hell and back so that sinners our sins taken from us upon his back by grace through faith might rise with him as citizens ultimately not of any kingdom of this world but of the kingdom of God 
alive and at work here and now in this world, among God's own. Until that day when all will rise to see with their eyes the coming of a new heaven and a new earth, all now at long last encompassed by the good and gracious kingdom of the King of Love, prepared for forever, for God's own. All of them. Amen.